Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, we have a community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. That's The Right Time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And on Monday and Wednesday, it's also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. Joining us from Austin, Texas, first time we've been able to have him on in a while, is the professor, Kirk Goldsberry. What is up? How are you, Brian? Great to have you back on. It's great to be back. On uh, on Christmas break now at the University of Texas? Just have to grade the finals, so yes. Oh. And then the semester break. Essay or... Uh... Is it essay? Short answer? Essay? We do a mixed format final uh, in the sports analytics class, uh, but I'm expecting high marks from my students. I had a great group of undergraduates this semester. Fantastic. Mm. Joining us from Los Angeles, where he'll be going on the road shortly, though, with the Lakers, is Dave McMenamin. Hey, Dave. Hey, uh, yeah, a tenuous road trip coming up. because Don't know if Luke is going to play on Wednesday and don't know if the Bulls game will be played on Sunday. <laughs> right. Yeah, the Bulls had two games postponed today. I feel like it'll be po- it'll be will be playing on Sunday. I know somebody who um, bought tickets to that game and wants to see LeBron for the first time. So for their sake, I'm hoping that that mm-hmm. <laughs> game is going to happen. But um, yeah, it's actually a, a big game. They play uh, on this road trip. They play at uh, at Dallas, at uh, Minnesota, and at Chicago. Is that right? That's right. You got it. Yeah. So we'll talk about the Lakers uh, in a few minutes here. Um, but I don't know if when this by the time this podcast posts, whether we'll be celebrating Steph Curry as the three point uh, shooting champ. Um, uh, he needs uh, seven tonight in Indiana to pass Ray Allen. I was covering the heat when Ray Allen broke um, Reggie Miller's record. And Dave, I'm trying to, you would probably remember this. I think Reggie was doing the game. Yes. But Brian it was on TNT. He passed it when he played for the Celtics. Well, he played for the Celtics. Yeah, it was a Lakers Celtics game. He must've passed it some other, t- he must've passed some other record when I was covering him with the heat. Maybe, maybe playoff threes or something yeah, like that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Reggie was there, right? It was a big, it yeah, was a big deal. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Reggie was there. You know, um, Ray is very proud of that record because he took his longevity as a point of pride. Um, I still, to this day, am surprised that Ray retired when he did. Uh, I thought he probably could have played another year at least, but I think he, you know, he had a very high standard and that he was able to stay at that high standard. There, that he didn't think he could stay at that high standard really spoke a lot. Remember the next year, people kept thinking he was going to come off the sidelines and go play for a contender. And he's just, he just didn't, he says, I'm done. Um, so, you know, that this is bittersweet for him. And it's also Steph has talked about how emotional this is uh, going to be for him because he was saying today that um, you get to play for a championship numerous times in your career, if you're lucky, although, you know, he didn't, he says, you, you, he says playing for a title is part of a process. So this is a career honor. And I get the impression it's going to mean a lot to him. Uh, Dave, because um, this is going to what's his is his mark on the league. No one's ever done it more. So I I think whether it's today in Indiana, um, uh, what's their next game? Remind me. They play the Knicks after Indiana. Right. It was today or at the Garden. Um, I think it'll probably be quite a moment for him. 
So Brian, the cool part about this beyond, there's a lot of things that's cool about this. The Warriors resurgence this year, the fact that Steph could very well win MVP this year is, is cool. But like so many other things are subjective, like the greatest passer of all time. There's a bunch of names that come in. Greatest rebounder, block, uh, block, shot guy, whatever. That's the way to describe that. The guy, best, guy who's best at blocking shots. But best shooter, even though it's a subjective conversation, like he already owns it, I feel like. Right. And that's yeah. that's all due respect to Ray Allen. Like Ray Allen's shot is so beautiful in its mechanics in terms of you could be watching him playing for the Celtics or playing for the Heat or playing for the Bucks, And man, you blink and it looks exactly the same. Steph to me is the better shooter, not just because he's going to pass him in production, but because he can do it from all different angles. He can do it leaning. He can do it one-handed, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, his range deeper than, you know, Ray, uh, Ray really showed. But to me, that's such a great thing to have. He's going to have the MVP. He's going to have the championships, but like he will walk around as the greatest shooter ever played the game of basketball. Like what, a, what a cool thing to have. Kirk, you've devoted your, your a big part of your uh, media career to analyzing the value of shooting. He's sort of your North star. I, yeah. I would think. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a big piece on the record coming up. I talked to Stefan about it and his trainer uh, I think Dave hit it on the head. It's, it's sort of a concept I, I touch on too, is like, we've known for years, this guy's the best shooter in the history of the game. This is just sort of a, a moment where we really get to cement that. Um, there's one stat that really stuck out with me when I was doing the research is that not only is he going to be the all-time leader in made threes, which is incredible in itself, um, but of the 155 players in the history of the sport that have, or the NBA that have taken at least 1,000 threes, uh, Brian, uh, he's going to have the best three-point percentage in that giant group too. <laughs> it, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. To McNenamon's point, it's like there are a lot of ambiguities and first take is on TV just because we love to argue about this stuff. There's no arguing this one. Uh, and I think it feels really poetic for a reason too. It's like he changed the sport in the same way that Babe Ruth changed baseball. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but like people weren't thinking about home runs in the 1920s until Babe Ruth came along and said, Hey, why don't you just hit it out of the park, you know, every other game and, and help your team win. And, and what Stefan has done is really showed that quote unquote, jump shooting teams. Remember 10 years ago, jump shooting teams, not even championship, not yeah. even, not even 10 years, ago. five years ago. And that notion, yeah. he's put that to bed. He's changed the sport. He said, hey, guys, why don't we do this? Uh, and, and we have followed and tried to copy it. Nobody's copied it yet. But, man, he is just a reformer and an all-time great. I really like what Dave said. There's no debating this. This guy is simply the best shooter of all time. And Dave and I had the opportunity to cover him in four straight finals. Uh, I subsequently covered uh, the Warriors' um, playoff run the following year where they went to the finals against uh, Toronto. And I know, Dave, you covered a playoff, uh, the playing game with him last mm-hmm. year. That's right. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to see him play in a lot of high you know, value games. And he gets, you know, because he doesn't have a finals MVP, people use that against him because it's what they can use against him. <laughs> but the concept that this guy can't, you know, you know, he's been great at all times. And, you know, there's been so many games I've been at where he 
kills the game with that shot. Uh, and I say kill the game. I mean, totally lifts his blows the roof off of Oracle arena, destroys another, you know, another team, almost the most the great compliment you could give him is that, and I just watched him um, a couple of weeks ago in Phoenix when the, when the Warriors played at the Suns, he had a terrible shooting night that night. He was 421. Um, but every time he put it up, you could hear, you could feel the collective drawing in of breath because every single person in the building, as much as they were rooting against him, or even if they were rooting for him, had this collective respect, like this shot could go in. And I'm not so sure you could say anything more about anybody um, who can capture the attention of people like that. We, you, whenever you, whenever he shoots it, you feel like he's going to make it, and that's both wonderful. That's both wonderful and scary, and that's a that's a that's an incredible thing. And you know, he actually said today, gave an interview earlier this morning, where he talked about how he kind of regrets um, that game last week against the Magic, where he needed 16 three-pointers against the Blazers yeah it was a Blazers I'm sorry and um and he kind of didn't rule out that he could do it um he said today he kind of regretted that because it put a weird context on the game but I'm gonna tell you something as soon as he kind of did that um sports books put up lines on it because it was possible. Nobody was saying it was impossible. And Dave, LeBron talked about this the other day, and I thought LeBron summed it up great. What did he, you know, he, yeah. you know, this story, you have read a story about what LeBron said, but what he said specifically about that. Well, the fact that we were entertaining it as basketball fans, as reporters, as teammates, coaches, peers, opponents, that a bunch of us were all tuning in to see that game because we thought it was possible. LeBron said, like, I was tracking it. I was watching the game and calculating in my head. Oh, yeah, Steph could probably do this because LeBron, student of the game, has played against Steph many times, knows that Steph had scored 12 threes in the game and was like, yeah, if anyone can do this, Steph Curry could do it. We're talking about 16 threes in a game. Like, that's right. insanity. That's right. absolutely bonkers. But that's the guy. It, it was against the, uh, the 30th ranked defense in the league. <laughs> that's that's so. true. But, you know, so the humility Steph has shown since then, I mean, he, I think he's nine for 31 since, yeah. you know, he entertained the idea of making it. And, okay, so it's been a slow trickle. Didn't have that big moment. But you know, it's kind of like watching a golf major sometimes, and you see a guy go for an 18-foot uh, putt to try to end the tournament on eagle. He's still going to win the tournament. You know, and he ends up three putting it or whatever. But that moment, you're like, this thinking, is it. I first off, I've never heard it. you. I've never heard you make a golf analogy. Second, I don't know what you were talking about. You totally botched that. Wait, really? Uh, he nailed it, dude. He nailed Think about it. that, Brian. Think your watch Sunday. Tiger's going to win on Sunday, and he has a, yeah. a tw- 22 foot putt to win it yeah. on like an eagle. And then, and then, but he ends up three putting. He still wins it. But you, that moment, as a, as a sports fan, you're like, I want to see something like incredible. I see, what I see what you're saying. You're saying you you want to see that moment that he the, the guy wins on the high note as opposed yes, to him exactly. putting a tag right. Yeah. You guys remember Mark McGuire broke the record, Maris's record, with an ugly home run. Like it was yeah, like, like, a, like li- a line drive <laughs> that barely Snuck over the fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like we'd watched all summer and it was kind of like. Remember man. he missed first base too? Like it was like it was a messed up home run trot and everything. Yeah. 
But I was actually at that game at Orlando when our own Nick Friedel, Friedel got that answer out of Steph that he said anything is possible. In that same press conference, Brian, uh, Steve Kerr had mentioned or that same post-game uh, availability, Steve Kerr had said that Steph has the perfect blend of arrogance and humility of any athlete he's been around. Um, and he's been around Michael Jordan. Uh, so I don't know what that means about his humility, but Steph definitely <laughs> had some arrogance to him when he, when he said anything is possible to our own. Well, Nick I don't think not. Michael had uh, hum- too much humility by the, <laughs> time Steve, <laughs> the time Steve was there. That's what I'm saying. But see, your other point, Brian, I think you perfectly sort of summed it up is, is there was a moment in that game where Gary Harris, the, the, the Magic had just scored and they were pressing Steph a little bit and Steph wasn't ready for it. And Gary Harris just ripped the ball out of his hands, put the put the ball in right back into the bucket that it just came out of. Yeah. And there were seven <laughs> seconds left in the first quarter. A, yeah. And, and to your point of Stefan and his weird ability to electrify an arena, like nobody else right now, he catches the inbounds. Everybody knows he's mad. Everybody yep. knows he's embarrassed uh, and everybody knows he's going to shoot it. And so that next seven seconds was just incredible. And he, of course, yes. the whole magic teams know what he's going to shoot it, but he gets it across half court, you know, the play. <laughs> He goes behind the back and puts up what would be a prayer for any other player in the NBA. And like you just said, you think the shot's going in and you kind of think you're crazy because you think it's going in. And then guess what happens? It goes in and and the Chase Center, I almost said Oracle, loses its brains. You know, it loses its mind because it's Steph Curry. And that's the exact kind of moment. He elevates a Monday game against the Orlando Magic into the hottest ticket in the Bay area and not many players around the league can take one of those ho-hum Monday games and make people lose their minds like that. Uh, and that's, what's really special about him as he's d- does this. The other thing I would say is he's not just breaking a record near the end of his career. This is a resurgent golden state team. That's threatening to sort of reclaim their crown, uh, reminding people how dominant they were. They're arguably the best team in the league right now. He's probably the MVP right now. Uh, and so he's yeah, doing the bond temps poll had him yeah. at 90, 94 out of hundred votes. Although yeah. I have to say, I have to say, um, after I watched Durant who closed the game on Friday, I was in Atlanta. He closed the game on Friday, shutting down Trey young defensively Trey young a little bit. Yeah. Um, although, uh, you know, what are you going to do? He's seven foot. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, but he just, was awesome in that game scored 31 played great defense down the stretch then Harden takes Sunday to rest and he scores 51 like I am now regretting not having voted for Durant just simply on saying pay more attention to Durant and I'm now I'm going to take up that banner that I think Durant while I while I have to say that Curry is the MVP thus far Durant's not getting enough attention for it well, but we we voted for five people, so you you put Durant second. I, I assume I did. Okay. I did. I did. Um, so, speaking of um, playing well, David, LeBron was named Player of the Week <clears throat> today. Uh, I want. Did, I haven't seen the press release. How many players of the week does he have? Sixty-five. It's, it's... <laughs> so he is over a year. <laughs> Player of the year plus oh plus a couple months. Right. He's got some ungodly number of player of the months too. I mean, he's far and away got the most of both, although they didn't have the award back when, when Wilt was around, but um, 65. Wow. So LeBron has played um, these last, what would you say? Seven or eight games, Dave? Yeah. Uh, there's a cl- pretty clear delineation through his first eight games of the season and his last eight. 
and the last eight look like the LeBron of old, look like the guy who was uh, in many people's eyes, the MVP for a majority of last season. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. So it looks to me, and, you know, I know he's been saying this, but it looks to me like um, this looks like the healthiest he's been since Solomon Hill landed on his leg. Would you, do you feel that? Absolutely. And some of it was him coming into the season a little bit slow because he purposely took some time off in the off season to let that ankle heal. He re-aggravated the groin abdomen area, even though he claimed it had nothing to do with the groin injury from a couple of years ago the body's a kinetic chain. And so uh, I, I'm sure that there was some uh, haunting thoughts when he dealt with that eight game absence, but right now he's got his wind underneath him. He has you know, a force of will. That's the way Russell Westbrook described it. And certainly Russell Westbrook knows what that's like. Cause that's what he that's brings true. to the table every night. Also and the guy, like I told him, I don't, regularly use like colloquialisms in my press conference questions, but I was just like, you were on one tonight. That's what I told him last night. Like, where was that energy coming from? Bear in mind, I went through the back-to-back on the road in Memphis, in OKC, flew back to LA on Saturday. I was tired as anything. LeBron did all that, plus played 48 minutes a game, and then flew to Phoenix to see his son play on Saturday night. And flew back to LA with the one supposed off day and then puts up a 30 point triple double on Sunday, the oldest player in league history to do so. Let me ask you this. Do you think that because he was so high profile at Bronny's game, they, by the way, last two weeks, Bronny has played in two NBA arenas. Two weeks ago, he played at Staples. That? It's still Staples, by the way, and I'm holding on to it until Christmas. Day. <laughs> um, he played at Staples. And then last night he played at the footprint or Saturday night. He played the footprint center since it was so obvious, since it was well known that he, you know, I mean, you never, I always take exception when people were like, oh, I wonder if so-and-so was out the night before, or, you know, there's some rumor that the guy's out. I go, yeah, well, but you don't know if when he scored 45 and 17, I don't mean LeBron, but any player, you know, you don't know where these guys have ever been. So if you say, yeah, that guy was out late, you know, how do you know? But in this case, we all knew LeBron went to Phoenix um, after a back-to-back. Do you think there was an extra... Hey, I got to make sure that I show everybody that I got plenty of energy 
Um, sure. Again, it was kind of lethargic until the second quarter when he kind of took over. Yeah, I mean, they were not looking all too hot. Uh, and then he got it going a little bit in the second and the third. He was dynamite, 15 points, I think, in the quarter, two blocks, like highlight reel type stuff. They outscored the Magic 36 to 10 that quarter. Their much maligned defense held the Magic, I believe, it was two for 23 shooting in the quarter, which, you know, some of that was the Magic are struggling right now with the guys out of the lineup, but the energy level was there. And, but here's like the thing like, we want to appreciate what he's doing right now, and we all should, but, ever basically since LeBron left Miami to go to Cleveland for the second time, it was about, okay, I can play with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and they'll take some of the load off of me. Or I can play with Anthony Davis and I can play with Anthony Davis plus Russell Westbrook. That's the guy I want to go get because, man, I'm I'm getting up there. (laughs) Now here we are again and the team needs him to be him to look like a contender. See, let me just say, I, I think this is flawed thinking on his behalf, because if anything, and Kirk, I'll see what you think about this. If anything, when they made that Westbrook trade, I understand what he's saying, that he was going to you know, let Russ, you know, in theory, carry more of the weight. But it was going to require him to play more out of position, probably. And they so exhausted the rest of their roster yeah. They were going to have to just take pieces and parts that in like if Anthony Davis and LeBron honestly believed that the Lakers would be a better team with Westbrook playing point guard, LeBron playing four and AD playing five, they can spread the floor with two shooting defensive wings, Horton Tucker. And then you go try to find a guy. If they honestly believe that, then I can see that. And, and they may end up being right. You know, I was talking to a, a veteran league executive today, and he goes, I still think the Lakers are going to be in the conference finals. I don't know about winning the West, but I think they're going to be in the conference finals. Um, maybe they did believe that, but I can't square that with thinking that it would be an easier load. I think it was going to be a harder load. Um, and the effort, and, and Frank Vogel last night, he was, of course, LeBron played great. He had a 30 point triple double, but he was mostly effusive about the effort level. And, you know, you talk about the much maligned defense, Dave. Check the last 10 games. The Lakers have the number five defense in the league the last 10 games. That is the Lakers team that got uh, that won a title and, mm-hmm. and was a serious contender last year before the injuries. So, Kirk, I would just say it surprises. I mean, I, I, what Dave said I think is accurate. That's the way LeBron did view getting Westbrook. But I think it was a, an unusual um, uh, mis- misconception that LeBron had. Yeah, and I think – the, the names they brought in are big names. Obviously, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony are, are Hall of Fame names. The less glamorous people they exported, uh, I think, are the ones that are keeping Frank Vogel up at night as he tries to reestablish that defense in the top five where they have been when they've been a contender, as you mentioned. Uh, Alex Caruso, Contavious, Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, wing depth, backcourt defenders, role players that really – are happy to burn a lot of calories on defense guys that you can trust uh, in, in the defensive role. Uh, And I think if the Los Angeles Lakers can reestablish a top 10 defense, it's hard to bet against LeBron James. If he's healthy. I mean, just look, well, they're 11th, they're 11th. They've crawled. Like I want to say before this last 10 games, Dave, I think they were like 20, 
mid to low 20s. They're yeah, 11th right now. Yeah, yeah, so much much the season they were yeah around 22, and then they made a leap up to like 15 about a week ago, and yeah, now they're climbing. So credit to Frank. Frank even kind of let us behind the curtain a little bit to let us know that he's really stripped down his defensive game plan with this group. Uh, he's known for having a bit of sophisticated defense. He didn't have the personnel to run things the way he prefers them run, but he has found a way to make it work with this group. And it was funny. This is a guy that's been clearly on the hot seat. Uh, and, and to me, he's a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to, to try to find a way to win, which is that that's what you want out of your head coach. Well, you know, in fairness, he was on the hot seat the moment that the Westbrook trade happened, in my opinion. Like in the league, after the Westbrook trade happened, people were like, oh, man, I hope Frank's going to be okay, especially because he got a low extent. He got a short extension. Um, but hello, I, you know, I just said they're the top five defensive team in the last 10 games. That's Frank Vogel working, and you just revealed it. The other thing, Dave, I want to point out, um, Spectrum. Spectrum Sports in L.A., which uh, uh, has the uh, Laker games, they have a behind-the-scenes Lakers show. What is the name of that show, Dave? Backstage Lakers. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I want to applaud the Lakers for having that show. I believe, you know, um, this last weekend, uh, Formula One uh, had a huge audience uh, for their finale race. Uh, and the audience in America has exploded. And part of the, the main reason is because of this Netflix show, Drive to Survive, where they peel back the layers and give great access. And it, has, it also helps that all of their drivers are like very good looking, uh, you know, movie star types anyway, who have big time personalities. You can't always have that. But um, the Laker, I think the NBA should be doing this. And I, one of the things that happens in the Formula One show is that they highlight the race for fifth, the, the struggle, but the guy who's the 15th driver may be trying to get, uh, you know, promoted to one of the big teams and, you know, th their contracts happen mid-year, you know, like one guy in the middle of the season will be like, yeah, uh, I'm going to go next season to that other team and I'm going to finish this season uh, for your team. But it'd be like if LeBron told the Cavs, midway through 2010. Yeah, I'm signing with the Heat next year, but we're going to finish this up. Let's try to win this title. Like that all is really fertile for such storytelling. But, you know, I believe the NBA is missing out on a huge opportunity here. I'm not talking about like hard knocks. Hard knocks is not, is not what I'm, you know, hard knocks has behind the scenes, but it doesn't have the storytelling, the tremendous storytelling that this show on Netflix does. And I know that at the end of the day, uh, Dave and I have talked about this and, um, and Dave, you've pointed out to me that regardless of the access, the NBA is still getting increases in television revenue. So yeah. it's not like they're suffering. And that's a great point. Um, but what I want to say is I applaud the Lakers for having the show. Unfortunately, I can't watch it because I'm not, I don't live in L.A., but they allow cameras in to coaches meetings and stuff. And just this last week, they had uh, they had footage from a coaches meeting the Vogel had. And in the meeting, Phil Handy, uh, one of the assistant coaches, talks about how Anthony, I don't want to get this wrong, Dave, so please step in if I'm misremembering. But he talks about how AD, Anthony Davis, like was expressing, you know, fatigue. Like I'm really, you know, he was really tired, um, you know, and they were, and basically the message was, you know, if you're tired, you have to let us know, we'll take you out of the game. And, you know, of course he's tired. He's having to play big way more 
this year than he did last year, the year before. Um, and like last night, I mean, you know, uh, Sunday night, LeBron finished the game as the center against the Magic. LeBron's been playing more center. And that's tiring. It's, it's, it's more tiring to play center. Um, if this is one of the things that I've learned, you know, covering the NBA, the big men all talk about how tiring it is to play center. And so again, he's tired and he's worn down and he just took a couple of days off to deal with the sore knee. But I also think they just wanted to give him some rest because they were playing the thunder and the magic, but shouldn't AD and LeBron have, have calculated this when the Westbrook trade happened. Cause I don't know if LeBron, you know, he showed last year, he still got a lot in the tank, but he also, you know, got hurt. I know it was a freak injury, but shouldn't they, shouldn't they have expected this? And, um, and shouldn't this not be a surprise that they do have to ex- expend this much energy? No, they should have expected it. I think the idea was though, if something were to happen, like over the last several seasons, whether it would be LeBron, getting injured, AD getting injured, whatever, bringing in a player of Westbrook's ilk would do more to fill in the gaps when they were missing a star than bringing in someone like Buddy Heald, who is a high-level role player. Now, the thing that is the rub here is that without LeBron, the Lakers are 5-7 and this year, and Russell Westbrook has played every game for the Lakers. Now, that is a value in itself. The best ability is availability, and Russ has made himself available to his teammates. He deserves credit for that. But maybe this is just, hey, Russ, if you look in Washington, you look in Houston, he's a slow starter with a new group, and he's far better in the second half of the year, and it just so happened – Maybe if LeBron had missed 12 games in the second half of the year, the Lakers would be nine and three under Russell Westbrook. But so far, it hasn't looked all that great with Russ manning the wheel. And I'm told that they have a way to play that they want Russ to acquiesce to, which will be not 11 out of 10 Russell Westbrook, a more subdued, a more move the ball a more use yourself as a threat, but get into the paint and find an open shooter version versus the guy who's been forcing the issue to some degree. And the guy who's second, in the league in turnovers, a kindler, gentler Russell Westbrook. Good luck with that. Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, we've wanted to see that for a few years, but Russell is, is certainly a great playmaker when he makes the right choice. And I think the Lakers, need that uh, as LeBron ages, I think I, it just doesn't look like it's going to age very well. But back to, to AD, looking at the positional estimates on basketball reference, which are imperfect, but give you a pretty good idea, Brian. He's playing 68% of his minutes at the center, uh, by far as high as such mark is I as a Laker. What, and, what, in uh, his career, I would guess, although I can't. He had one year in New Orleans are. where he played. Uh, a lot of center at the end okay. uh, it turned out to be his last year in New Orleans in a related story. But uh, we think um, a lot of Anthony Davis and, you know, as other analysts have said, notably Charles Barkley, it's on him, man. You're, you're the young buck in your prime. You're supposed to be the two way superstar. Giannis is, is both the best defensive, best offensive threat on his team. Um, you know, he plays big when he needs to. I think it's fair to say that Anthony Davis needs to, to, to be a little bit better um, for this team to really thrive, especially as a defensive team. And he is very, very talented uh, on defense. So I think really he and LeBron remain the, the key points here. Um, 
But as I've written a couple times already this year, the defensive efficiency is the thing to watch with a Frank Vogel team. If they can't get into that top 10, they're not very good. Uh, that's what he hangs his hat on. He's done it for what, 10 years now, since I was talking about Roy Hibbert in Indiana. Uh, so mm. like, you know, he, he needs that. And it, it's an encouraging sign. Uh, it remains to be seen how sustainable it is. Yeah. Um, now what I'm saying is I think the Lakers are trending in the right direction. Although they've got a lot, you know, the fact that what are they two games over 500 right now? Dave? 15, um, 13. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, they've played one of the easiest schedules. It's going to stiffen significantly, especially after Christmas. So, you know, just because they're playing better now that you can't necessarily project that, but I, you know, there's been so much doom and gloom thrown at the Lakers. I actually, not only because of LeBron, but because of their defense, um, I'm sensing some traction. And I think Frank Vogel is, you know, doing a good job. His sleeves are rolled up and I know he's taking criticism from Laker fans um, because of who he started. You know, he's had a lot of fidelity to Avery Bradley, for example, he's trying to figure out guys who can defend because that's why he got the job. That's why they won the title. Um, you know, and, and so um, I, st- I still think we're not at the point where we can make a full assessment on this Laker thing, just because I think it is, there's a West- Westbrook learning curve, but um, I definitely, I definitely believe that the, if you're a Laker fan, there's, there's some things that are, that there, you know, that you could be paying attention to that are, pretty good so um something strange happened um uh, on sunday that uh probably didn't get a lot of notice um you know the indiana pacers have been and they're playing the uh, warriors tonight we'll see they've been playing better lately um lebron won western conference player of the week Demata sabonis won eastern conference player of the week because the um the uh the Pacers have been winning. So we'll see what they get a chance to do with the, with the spotlight on them uh, tonight. But um, you know, there was some, well, there was a report from the athletic last week um, uh, that, you know, that they were looking to, to, to trade some of their players and it, it caused a lot of uh, this beginning of a lot of rumors. Um, and um then uh, Kevin Pritchard, their, their general manager, um, he gave an interview and it was a long interview that covered a lot of different subjects. Um, but you know, he, uh, he there was one part that, uh, was, uh, paid attention to, and he was talking about, uh, it was a quote about, you know, what they need to do as a franchise. And he said, we've got to figure out how to manufacture that real star. And by the way, I agree with that. <laughs> I, mean, I think that many NBA teams, you know, would say we've got to figure out how to manufacture our Steph Curry. We've got to figure out a way to manufacture our Yas Tenacumpo. We've got to figure out a way to manufacture our Devin Booker. Um, I don't think that he was intending to slam his team, but his team took it like that. Um, Sabonis came out and indicated he was offended by it. And so Kevin Pritchard, went on Twitter yesterday. He, he he's, he's been on Twitter for years, but he's not an active tweeter. And he basically, I'll just read what he said. He said, although I don't respond to much, I thought I would give him, he was responding to um, a Pacer writer's tweet. So it was not only was it a statement on Twitter, it was responding to a tweet. 
Although I don't respond to much, I thought I would give my two cents. First of all, I believe in all our players and I hold them to the highest, I hold them to the highest order. In all honesty, I believe we have multiple stars on our team, but we all know we need more. We have challenged our players to be better. The point specific, the, the, the point especially was hard, so hard to believe. The point especially was so hard to believe that we can close games at higher levels. And if we do, our record will reflect it. Could I have used a better word than stars? Probably. But when you get interviewed for hours, you're probably going to slip up. I speak with our players every day and I felt bad for using that word. An appropriate apology was sent. No one believes in, no one believes more in this team. Um, it's been a rough way. The Pacers are winning now, um, uh, Kirk. This is a, this is a team that doesn't usually have a lot of drama. And the reason I'm talking about the Pacers here is because as soon as it was mentioned that they might be interested in, in uh, making some moves, all of a sudden, where's Karis LeVert going to go? Where's Sabonis going to go? Where's Miles Turner going to go? Um, this is not a team that makes a lot of midseason moves. No, but I, I've talked to people around the league and they're calling about other people's players too. Uh, so they're definitely active on the phones right now. And I think when word gets out, it's not exactly rare in this league that word gets out uh, and players get frustrated. And I think Kevin shouldn't have used the word star. I think that rightfully offended Sabonis, who is a star. He's literally an all-star uh, and he's the Two most time. important. Most important player on that team. And one stat I'll give you is when he's been on the court this year, the, the Pacers have been good. Their net rating is near six. When he's in off the court, their net rating is bad. It's about negative five or negative six. He's a very important and good player. Uh, I think the word he should have said instead, Brian, was scorer. They don't have a guy who can go get you a bucket in crunch time. Maybe you can argue Malcolm Brogdon is that guy, but I think that's what Pritchard was getting at. We don't have a backcourt create your own bucket playmaker. Sabonis, as good as he is, is largely an off-ball player and a big. He's not going to run the offense uh, or get you buckets in crunch time like some of the other stars in the NBA. So I think that's a poor word choice by Kevin. But I think I agree with it too, Brian, in the sense that they need somebody who is a crunch time playmaker with the ball in his hands. But it also... Uh, from Sabonis' perspective, that's an offensive thing. He, he's out here killing it. He's probably should be an all-star again. Um, and you, you say you're you're looking for a star. So this team probably is going to shake something up. They are not only calling about other players uh, on other teams, but yeah, you don't have to look too far around the league to find people who think Miles Turner is available or Sabonis could be available or others uh, on that team are available. Karis LeVert, like you said. So I think everything's true here. Uh, I wish Pritchard had chosen a different word, but ultimately I think Indiana probably will be one of the active teams around the trade deadline this year. Wasn't Karras supposed to be that guy? And I guess the question is how much is it health related to go through cancer in your mid twenties is like, you wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And, and so you wonder how much of that physical toll that takes, how much there's a mental toll. Well, I, I don't know. Like, He's a guy I've always admired his game since he came into the league. And has Rick Carlisle seen what he has now that he's looked under the hood a bit and gives feedback back to Pritchard and says, you know, we should probably strip this thing down to the studs. I'm just curious, why now? Why is is this the moment that they're going this route? Because as Brian, you alluded to, they're 
pretty much the same level of competitiveness they've been over the last couple of years. They've been underachieving this season. I think the idea when they got Rick Carlisle, obviously it looks like the decision to move on from Nate McMillan was a mistake. Yep. That was what Um, I was going to (laughs) say. And so, you know, okay. That happened two years ago. They, they met a 20, um, a 25 person or some other person. I don't remember how many it was. It was some enormous, huge coaching search. It identified Nate Bjorkren. That was a capital F failure. Um, and then they go and they have a coaching search of one. <laughs> they go pluck Rick Carlisle uh, out of Dallas. Um, and so they say, well, okay, we're going to get this back on online now. We're going to get this figured out. And it hasn't happened. They've underachieved. And, you know, they've had some setbacks. TJ Warren hasn't played. He's got a terrible uh, foot issue. Um, I don't know when or if he's going to return. Um, it's it's not good. Um, TJ McConnell is now out for a huge stretch of the season. Uh, he's, you know, a key player for them. You know, Jeremy Lamb tore his Achilles. That was a guy they were counting, or as uh, ACL. He's back playing, but he hasn't really, he's, you know, come just become just an also-ran player. So they, you know, like anybody else, they've had some, some setbacks, but they do have decent front end talent. You know, I think the thing with Miles Turner is Miles Turner, he's a guy who shoots, you know, high percentage from three point range, excellent shot blocker, one of the league's best shot blockers, if not the best. Um, he, you know, he's, he's a year, he has a year left on his contract after this. He I'm sure is interested in having a contract extension. And if he's on a team that isn't sure where he's going to, you know, where he's going to be, I mean, that's why he got frustrated and, um, and made some comments that he later had to walk back about uh, whether he, where he wanted to go. There's just a lot of frustration there. And, um, and they, you know, and, and they might have to, to shake it up, Kirk. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they can't trade Brogdon because they extended him. Um, And I thought, you know, I, boy, Brogdon is a polarizing player. I, I, I like him. Um, you know, I, I, I like his leadership. I like what he can do, but there's some executives I talked to and like, yeah, I, I don't, I, they're not fans of him. So I'm not sure, but when they, when they extended him in the preseason, he now can't be traded during the year. Um, so as they look at what they're going to do, you know, Sabonis has, is in the middle of a really good contract and has been their best player. Turner has one year left and is probably going to want an extension. And frankly says, he doesn't say this, but I'm sure he looks at Rudy Gobert and says, how much different from Rudy Gobert am I? Um, you know, I'm sure he's not going to want 18 million again. I'm sure he's going to want to raise. And you have Lavert, who's got a year left, uh, who probably also was looking for an extension. How do you decide if you're the Pacers what to do, Kirk? I think you got to look at your, your last few years, and they haven't been great with a pretty similar group. I thought you made a great point. TJ Warren could be the guy who can go out and score for you, and he, he just hasn't been available um, so it's hard to say who this team really is until you see them fully loaded. And that just hasn't happened, but as they stand right now, there are two teams worse than them in the East. And that is the Orlando magic and the Detroit Pistons. That's not good company. Uh, this team is not a contender as they are currently playing. Um, and they haven't been in years. They're sort of in that dreaded NBA middle-class uh, and, and, and when you're in that middle class for a few years in a row, three, four years in a row, obviously, uh, the, the question becomes, should we just blow it up and start over? Uh, the good news is they have very tradable pieces if they decide to go that route. Miles Turner is a difference maker. Uh, Sabonis is obviously a great player. Uh, Karis Levert is a very, very good player. So they, if they decide to go that way, they have enticing 
pieces to help somebody else uh, at the deadline and, and get some assets back to start a rebuild. I'm not saying they are going to go that direction because I think hiring Rick Carlisle signals they're not going uh, to go exactly. that direction. So I think they exactly. have a bit of an identity crisis when you look at their, their last few years there. Right. By the way, they're still paying Monte Ellis this season. I was just looking at there. <laughs> Here's a factor for you guys. Their attendance this year, 73%. And I've been fortunate enough to go to Indiana uh, following teams that had Kobe on them with LeBron on them, always a sellout and a great crowd. And we were there right before Thanksgiving. And I don't even know, maybe it was right around 73%. Uh, and I was shocked because you think about Indiana, you think Hoosiers, you think about uh, a state that, that embraces basketball and uh, you know, I wonder how much yeah, that's. But they've never really, they've never super, you know, supported the Pacers. The Pacers have never enjoyed. Well, I'll sport. say this, Brian. This this game stood out compared to other games I've covered in that arena. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, this is one of the incredible stats of in the NBA. The Pacers have not had a pick inside the top ten. They've had the number ten pick a couple of times, but um, they have not had a pick inside the top ten since since when? Do you know? Oof, wow. Uh... You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Bender? Nope. Wait, wait, wait what pick was Bender? He was four, wasn't he, from Phoenix? But did oh, he, he was start? picked by Phoenix? Okay, he was traded on draft night? Um, well, that might be an asterisk there because it wasn't their it wasn't their pick. Right, they may have traded right. up. But traded. what was the last time? Mm. Um, you got it, Kirk. No, I don't have it. I'm trying to look, but I don't know the Pacers draft history nearly as well as either you of don't? you two gentlemen. No, I have not <laughs> studied that. I would fail that final exam right now. I mean, do you do you just want to take a guess? 2008. You gotta give a name. I can't get the oh, name. Well. <laughs> Dave, do you want to take a guess the last time they picked inside the top 10? Yeah, I want, I want to keep naming names. I want, this is a good little challenge. So, I'll, I'll, How about this? I'll, give, I'll tell you who the player is. And then I got to say the, the year? Oh, my yeah. God. I think I just saw the answer. Okay, tell me. It's one of the most incredible stats, right? Yes. Kirk? This is, this Chuck, is Chuck ridiculous. Persis? The player was George McLeod. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. 
well, that's I drafted one year after Rick Smith, who is also a top ten pick. So was it like eighty six or something like that? Nineteen eighty nine. They haven't. Yeah, that's remarkable. In, that's wild. Inside the top ten since nineteen eighty nine. So now they've had again. They've had they drafted Paul George at ten. And right. by the way, that was worked out. Great. That pick. was that was developing a real star, right? That's kind of what Pritchard was referring to. We need another Paul George. Yeah, no kidding. They drafted they Kawhi drafted, at eleven, right? Uh, I think it was 15, 15, uh, 15. Okay. Yeah. 15. Okay. That would have been a real star to have. Yep. Yep. Um, oh boy. You're bringing up old, you're bringing up old. Bleep. <laughs> uh, Miles Turner was 11, hmm. but, but the reason they, I mean, they haven't had lottery luck obviously, but the reason is, is because they have never been a believer in tearing down. Yep. We're going to tear down and rebuild. They've just never done that. And part of the reason, I mean, there's a number of reasons. Part of it is their ownership doesn't, doesn't believe in that, but part of the reason is that they, if they were completely irrelevant for three or four years, their attendance would be an absolute wasteland. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the reasons Oklahoma City is going through what looks to be a, a long rebuild is because they believe in their fan base um, will support it because they had you know twelve years of playoff basketball or whatever to start off, and they've had great support. I, I you know if Oklahoma City is a smaller market than Indiana, but. No, that's a factor. So when I read that the Pacers are going to tear everything down, I, I, I can't say that they're not because I don't. I'm not sitting in their meetings, but it's just not something that they have historically done. Um, but it's going to, and I think Kirk is right. Definitely, they have been talking to teams out there. There is an indication that they're that they're going to do something. Last year, they did make a midseason move where they they got in on that trade and got on that uh, Harden trade and got uh, Levert in the deal. Um, that was part of the same trade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But I think um, uh, I think they've got some hard questions. And, um, you know, also, you know, Rick Carlisle is going to have a big say in this. This is not Nate Bjorkman. You know, <laughs> what Rick Carlisle wants to do with his roster, he's going to have a lot more power than Nate McMillan, uh, even Nate McMillan did, uh, you know, with that organization. And I don't think Rick Carlisle went up there to go into a three-year rebuild. Um, so, um, just keep that in mind. Well, did, did Pritchard um, back himself into a corner though, by saying he's the biggest believer in this team that there, there, that exists. And then if well, he goes and you know, tears it down, <laughs> he just, well, right. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I have to believe that there was some thought put into whether he was going to put this, these tweets out, uh, you know, but you know, look, it's, it's not like you're going to go to jail if you go back on your word. Um, last thing before we go. So, um, during the day, Dave mentioned it during today, uh, first, games of were postponed um due to covid um so i've i've traveled uh eight consecutive weeks um not the whole week but like i've gone to at least one trip eight consecutive weeks or seven out eight weeks or something i've been to i think nine nba cities so far this year um uh i am right now very cognizant of the COVID spread in the league. And I am definitely going to be very careful. And I don't even think it's going to matter, but I'm going to be very careful. Um, the, the point has been made by many people that more players have tested positive for COVID this season than last season. Uh, the difference is, is that this season, players who on the team who are vaccinated don't have to go into contact tracing after a teammate tests positive. So you don't have whole teams shutting down, but the Omicron variant, I am not an epidemiologist, but 
the Omicron variant is only going to spread the United States. And so, Dave, the difference between this year and last year also is they didn't have a unscheduled back half of the season where they could just invent when the playoffs were going to be. They've got an 82-game schedule with fans, and they're selling tickets, and they have told people, you want the, the late, you want to come when the Lakers play the Bulls? That game is going to be December you know, 16th or whatever. Right. So how are you feeling about this? You're traveling every week. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly hopeful coming into the year. I was glad to be vaccinated. I was glad to get my booster shot for once or whatever after my, my second shot. But I, you're seeing it everywhere right now. And to me, was the NBA overly ambitious or a little foolhardy by forging ahead when they – clearly understood the risk at hand last year, not only the health risk, but the business risk. And so they accommodated that by only releasing the first half of the schedule, having this uh, kind of wiggle room to play with in case they need to reschedule games. But bowls were rolling. They're having two games postponed right now. Assuming these nine players are out with COVID protocol right now, are unable to practice. So even when you do resume play, like they've been out of shape, out of rhythm, this could completely change their season. And I'm not saying like the NBA is a long season for a reason. They, they should be able to find their, their footing, but this could be the difference between them being a three seed and a four seed, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I don't know. Like, I, I do think that ever since the hiatus uh, and the NBA deciding to resume play with the bubble, you have the choice to find a way to move forward or to sit back. And so I understand nothing is going to look perfect and we're going to have to make course corrections along the way, but it gives me some pause about where we're headed because uh, listen, we were just talking about Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle hasn't been coaching because he's sidelined with COVID. Right. We're talking about the, the bulls right now that's coming up. Uh, you know, I, I think another contender, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, are now potentially compromised because Adrian Wojnarowski and Malik Andrews are reporting that Paul Millsap is now entered into COVID protocols. And, you know, it's kind of like strap up. Let's see where this is going to go. Yeah, I walked within two feet of Paul Millsap the other day and he was unmasked. Um, uh, so I'm, I hope my mask was working and I hope, you know, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's concerning Kirk. I think though, that the league has kind of decided that this is something that they're going to live with. I, and I, you know, the players who've had it have all thankfully <clears throat> bounced back. Uh, I know there's been some guys who've had some longer symptoms, but for the, for the most part, they've bounced back. And, you know, I, I, I think the league is going to press onward. I don't, I would be surprised that we don't know the future with the variant, but I would be surprised if the league makes, makes uh, any changes at all. I think they're just going to, you know, I think they'll do some more testing to try to prevent team wide um, outbreaks, but I, I don't think they're going backwards to um, quarantining guys. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen either. That's essentially the COVID story in a nutshell. Anybody who says they know is, is lying to you. I think it's, it's a really teetering moment because either this will be a blip in the radar or we start to lose more games as we head towards like the, the, the time where the NBA really starts to gain the national stage right around Christmas and, and early into 2022. And 
you know, it's been really great to have full arenas and fans going crazy and uh, these games on television or in person back in our lives. And you just hope, Brian, uh, that's all I can do is just hope that this is a blip on the radar and not a sign of things to come. Yeah, but I would I would just say that what we learned in 2020, <laughs> right. like, oh, there's there's only there's only seven cases in the U.S. right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the Omicron variant is already probably the dominant variant in the United States, <laughs> you know, so um, hopefully it is mild uh, as early reports are. And that's all we can hope. But uh, stay safe out there. Um, I was using my ESPN issued mask, Dave. Oh, Los Angeles. That's the heavy duty center. guy. Yep, absolutely. The, the, the Disney approved mask. So hopefully my time with the Nets the other day. <laughs> I mean, I've upgraded back to the heavy duty. I, I was doing the kind of the, the flimsy cloth mask for a bit, but I've gone back to the K95. Yeah, the it is it is a bummer when like you are set for a travel day, especially if you have to change planes. And you're like, you're like leaving your car or, you know, you're about to, you know, get into a Uber or something to go to the airport and you put that mask on. You're like, well, I'll be wearing this thing for the next 10 hours. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but listen, I'm, you know, that's why I wear it because uh, for unknown exposure. So, um, all right. Thank you, Kirk. Welcome back. Uh, thank thank you. you, Dave. Uh, safe travels. Thanks for listening to Collective Podcast. We'll talk to you guys later this week. Let's go, Steph. Steph.